you being seated, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, we've provided a Bible for you in one of the chairs where you're seated or uh, in one of the pews upstairs, uh, you should find a Bible around you, and we encourage you to take your copy of Scripture and follow along with us. Um, as many of you know, myself and a couple of the other elders, we were out of town last week. We were in Washington, D.C. at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and we had a really good time there. Uh, it was, they call it a weekender. It was a time to kind of uh, learn and uh, get training and encouragement, and so that was a sweet time, and it's good to be back with you this week. I'm really grateful that Brian, uh, one of our church planners that we sent out from our church, was able to, to preach last week and grateful that he was able to be here. So this morning, we're picking up in our series in Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4. And I'll begin reading for us in verse 1. I'm going to read through to verse 9, and then this morning we'll focus on verses 2 and 3, okay? So Philippians chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Well, we are going to be covering these nine verses over the next several weeks, and as we survey these nine verses, we see that the theme of peace is the theme that ties these verses together. So if you just look over these verses quickly, you might notice that in verses 1 and 2, Paul is addressing the matter of peace in relationships. In verses 4 through 7, Paul addresses the matter of peace in all circumstances. And then in verses 8 and 9, he speaks of peace of mind. And so we're going to slow down now a little bit in our series in Philippians, and we're going to move through this section a little bit uh, more slowly, and we're going to focus on each one of these sections. And this morning, I want us to look at verses 2 and 3, and we're going to consider what Paul has to say here about peace in relationships. Do you know that the number one reason why Christian missionaries prematurely leave the mission field is not persecution, it's not that they run out of money, it's not that uh, they can't learn the language or they don't like the food, Although all of those things might be true, although they might experience those different things, financial trouble or persecution or cultural uh, struggling with cultural changes, but none of those things actually um, rank as the number one reason why missionaries prematurely leave the mission field. 
Rather, the number one reason reported why Christian missionaries leave the mission field is interpersonal conflict with other Christian missionaries. Now, that's a, that's a remarkable reality. And what we see here in our text this morning in Philippians is that the church in Philippi was experiencing a similar dynamic. If you look there in verses 2 and 3, you see that there are two women in the church in Philippi, and they served as members of one of Paul's missionary teams, and they are conflicted. And their conflict threatens the unity and the effectiveness of the larger ministry and uh, church there in Philippi. You know, we tend to think of missionaries as super-Christians, don't we? We tend to kind of put missionaries up on a pedestal and think that, that they're, they have some kind of super-spirituality, and really they don't. I mean, they are very much so like any one of us. They are weak and broken and sinful, just like all of us. But we do assume that Christian missionaries, although they are not perfect Christians, that they are probably mature Christians. And if interpersonal conflict can cause such upheaval, such disruption in the relationships between Christian missionaries, I'm sure, and we can be confident, that it can cause disruption in the life of, say, an average church member. Any one of us here this morning. Some of you this morning might be experiencing conflict with, say, your spouse or another member of your community group or someone that you volunteer with on a regular basis here at the church. And even if you're not a Christian and, and you're here with us this morning, first of all, I want to say I'm really glad that you're here. We, we welcome you and we hope that you'll keep coming back and be with us on Sundays to learn more about Christ and about this gospel, this good news that we speak about. But if you're not a Christian, I wonder, do you have conflict in your life? I imagine you do. And if you have conflict in your life, I wonder, have you ever thought about what the Bible has to say about relational conflict? It has a lot more to say than we could address in just this one sermon this morning. The Bible actually has a, a, has a great deal to say about relational conflict. And this morning, although we can't cover everything that the Bible has to say about this subject, we will get a window into how the Christian gospel can help us resolve and reconcile personal conflict. I've entitled our message this morning, Conflicted Gospel Partners and Peace in Christ. Conflicted Gospel Partners and Peace in Christ. I want us to consider what Paul has to say about resolving relational conflict and finding peace in Christ. To do that, we'll consider our passage in three parts. First, we'll consider conflicted partners. Secondly, a call to peace. And then third, a call to help. First of all, let's consider conflicted partners. Look there in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We read these words. I entreat... Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, right away, one of the things that we take note of here is that even the most mature and fruitful Christians 
must intentionally pursue relational unity and understand biblical principles for resolving conflict. Notice in our text this morning who these conflicted partners are. In fact, they're they're fairly impressive individuals. There are two women here. One's name is Yodia and the other Syntyche, and you might quarrel over the pronunciation there. Maybe you don't pronounce it the same, but I'm going with that, okay? So we have Yodia and Syntyche, and this is the only time in the New Testament that these two women are mentioned. We, we don't know a lot about them, but what Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 3, is he tells us two things about these women, and it's, it's two things that are noteworthy, that are significant. He tells us, first of all, that they are gospel partners, and then he tells us that they are genuine Christians. Now let's consider each one of those. First of all, they're gospel partners. You see there in verse 3, he says that they have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Now that word labor there can also be translated contend or struggle or strive. The idea here is that these two women had genuinely given themselves with with great effort and energy and purpose to the work of gospel ministry. We know that the Apostle Paul worked in missionary teams, and here we see that these two women were integral members of Paul's team in Philippi. This team included, from these verses here, we can deduce that this team included Paul himself, Clement, Iodia, Syntyche, and then some unnamed fellow workers is how Paul speaks of them here. So so from everything we can surmise from from this text, these two women were faithful, effective, even celebrated members of Paul's missionary team in Philippi. You know, as a church, when it comes to the ministry of men and women in the life of our church, we believe that the Bible teaches that God has created men and women equal before the Lord. So men and women have equal worth, they have equal value before the Lord. And we also believe that God has assigned different roles to men and women in the life of the church, and yet those roles complement one another so that it benefits, their ministry together benefits the larger church and brings God glory. So, for example, we see that the Apostle Paul in the New Testament teaches us in Scripture that men are responsible in the life of the church for the primary teaching and preaching of the church as a whole. And at the same time, we see in a text like this that Paul labored with other women in gospel ministry and that they were integral partners with him in the work of the ministry. And and Paul valued their work and celebrated their work. You know, it's wonderful to see how this actually plays itself out in the life of our church here at Crawford Avenue. You don't have to be around our church here at Crawford Avenue very long to learn that the women's ministry and the life of our church sweetens and enlivens and empowers everything that we do as a church. And we praise God for the women in our church. I would have to say that over the last several years, I can't think of another ministry in the life of the church here at Crawford Avenue that has been as fruitful as the women's ministry in our church. 
And so we're thankful for all the ladies in our church who lead and teach and disciple and pray and show hospitality and serve and give and offer counsel to others. Let me just say, women who are engaged in the ministry of our church here at Crawford Avenue, you are truly partners in the gospel. Your labor in the gospel, we have taken note of it. And we can say, even as the Apostle Paul says here of Yodi and Syntyche, you are fellow workers in the gospel, and you have proven that you are worthy of our church's respect and praise. This was true of Yodi and Syntyche. These were not two women who were self-absorbed Christians. They were not two women who were kind of on the periphery of the church. No, rather, these two women were servant-hearted, co-laborers in the gospel, and they were integral to Paul's ministry and to the ministry of the church at Philippi. And they had gotten crossed up with one another. So Paul tells us, one thing we learn about these two women is that they are genuine partners in the gospel. The second thing he tells us about them, though, is that they were genuine believers. Notice he goes on in verse 3 to say that their names are in the book of life. Now, this concept of the book of life runs throughout the Bible. It's especially prevalent in John's book that he wrote entitled Revelation. John actually tells us in the book of Revelation that those whose names are in the book of life were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And so here's here's the idea. Those whose names are in the book of life, they will be delivered from the judgment of eternal death in hell And they will experience the blessing of life with God forever. Their names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And then God, in His mercy and grace, sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to suffer the penalty that they deserved for their sins so that they would be forgiven and their names in the book of life would be secured forever. In fact... John tells us, or he describes the book of life this way in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. John refers to the book of life as the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Do you see the connection between the two? Those whose names are in the book of life, their names are secured there by the Lamb who was slain, namely Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, why is this significant when we think about Iodia and Syntyche? Because as we've already learned, they were two women who were faithful in gospel ministry. But listen, my friends, there is nothing that anyone could say about these two women that was more significant than this reality that their names were written in the book of life. They were not first and foremost defined by what they had done for God but rather by what God had done for them in Jesus. Even before the foundation of the world, God had purposed to save them. And He had sent the Lord Jesus to secure their place in the book of life. I wonder if you're, I wonder this morning, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? 
If you're not a Christian and you're here with us this morning and you, you may have come here this morning and you may have thought that, well, the preacher's going to tell me all these things that I need to do for God. And surely there are certain things that we should do for the Lord out of love for Him and obedience to Him. But listen, my friends, far more important than anything that we can do for the Lord is what God has already done for us in Christ. God has purposed to save His people and He has sent His Son to secure their redemption. In fact, Jesus taught us this when He was on earth that the most important thing about us, the thing that we should be most delighted in is the reality that we know God through Jesus Christ. You might remember there was a time in Jesus' ministry when He sent His disciples out on a mission. And God blessed the disciples as they went out on this mission and they experienced all kinds of remarkable things. There were demons that were cast out of individuals and other people were healed and the disciples were excited and they came back to Jesus and they wanted to share all the amazing stories of what God had done. And do you remember Jesus' response in Luke chapter 10, verse 20? Jesus said to His disciples, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Or in other words, they're written in the book of life. You see, before any of us can do anything for God, we must first receive what God has done for us. This is where our true identity lies, in God's salvation offered to us in Jesus. Is this true of you? If not, then I would encourage you this morning to turn from your sins, repent of your sins, and trust, believe in the Lord Jesus, that He died and He was raised so that you might have life. This, of course, was true of Iodia and Syntyche. They were not false Christians. They were not cultural Christians. They didn't just go to church and part of the church in Philippi because it was assumed that that's what they should do because that's what their family and friends and the larger culture did. No, to the contrary. They were the real deal. Their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. And listen, they were in conflict with one another. You see, sometimes we might think, well, people get in conflict because, oh, well, they must not really love the Lord or they must not really have their priorities straight or whatever it might be. I think we have an example here of two individuals that it seems are genuine followers of Jesus, love the Lord, are committed to His work, and they find themselves crossed up with one another. And so it doesn't surprise me if there are some of you here this morning who love the Lord, who are genuine Christians, and you are experiencing ongoing conflict in your life. It might be in your marriage. It might be with another church member. It might be with a leader in our church. And what Paul teaches us here is that Christians are, are not those who live lives that are free of conflict, but Christians do have a responsibility to how they respond to conflict. And that's what leads us to our next point, a call to peace. So we see these two women were partners in the gospel. And then secondly, we see here that they, there is a call to peace. So look there in verse 2, and we read these words. I entreat Iodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. 
Now, one of the things we should think about as we're, we're, we're considering this passage is that when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, this was a public letter. So that means that Paul would have written the letter and it was take, someone else took it to the church in Philippi, and then probably the leaders in the church would have read the letter, but then at some point they would have stood before the congregation and they would have read the letter out loud to the congregation in Philippi. And, and you can imagine that it's, I mean, it's kind of a long letter, right? You can imagine that as, as the leaders of the church are reading this letter to the, from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, you can imagine when they get to the point, this point in the letter and Paul calls out two individual women in the congregation by name, it would have gotten everybody's attention, right? And, and so it, it makes us, it makes us then think that the disagreement between these two women, Iodia and Syntyche, was, was no minor disagreement. It was at least of such an extent that Paul felt like it needed to be addressed publicly, and, and therefore it was probably something that had been going on for some time that people in the congregation knew about that was causing some type of division or controversy within the body. And Paul addresses it publicly. He addresses these two women publicly. Notice as well that as Paul addresses these women, he says that they each possess a responsibility, and that is namely to agree in the Lord. And each of them bear this responsibility. In, in fact, this, the way that he writes it emphasizes that. So he says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche. Both of them have the responsibility to agree in the Lord. And so Paul here assumes that, that the disposition of a Christian towards another Christian should be a disposition of peace, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, so that when there is conflict between the two, one would pursue the other. In contrast, Paul would say that when there is conflict then, we should not stew in our own bitterness or resentment nor harbor unforgiveness, but rather we should pursue one another in reconciliation. This is the responsibility of every Christian. It's interesting, too, that as, as Paul is, 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 is writing to the church in Philippi here, what's really happening is that Paul is observing this situation in Philippi, and he is simply applying the teaching of the Lord Jesus to this situation in Philippi. So, so Paul, as a pastor, right, he sees these two women in Philippi conflicted, and it's affecting the church, and it's affecting the ministry of the church, and Paul thinks to himself, how am I going to respond to this? And Paul simply takes the teaching of the Lord Jesus, and he applies it to the situation. It is, in fact, the Lord Jesus who taught us that when we have sinned against someone, or they think we have sinned against them, we have the responsibility to go to them. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, so you're going to worship the Lord, and you're offering your gift there, and you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
So I've sinned against my brother, or at least he perceives that I have sinned against him, so I go to him. Not only does Jesus say we are to go to the one we have sinned against, Jesus says that when someone sins against us, we are to go to them as well. So in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, do you see how Jesus here is creating a community of peace and reconciliation? Because it's whether I've been sinned against or I've sinned against one another, another, it's my responsibility. And if they're a Christian, it's their responsibility. We're to be pursuing each other in that conflict. And listen, I know that as I say this, and maybe you've got situations in your mind right now and you're thinking, I don't want to go to that person, right? I don't want to have to go to that person and talk to them about this. And in some ways it's hard, but listen, my friends, isn't this the reason why we love Jesus so much? Isn't this just like Jesus? Jesus pursued us when we had set ourselves against him and against his kingdom. And he came after us. It's just like Jesus. And he's calling us to do the same. Is it hard? Yes. But it is surely the reason why we love him so much. This is what Paul says to Yodi and Syntyche. You have a responsibility, Yodia. You have a responsibility, Syntyche, to pursue one another towards peace. And let me just say that as we are to pursue one another as Christians in peace, we are to be peacemakers and not peace fakers. Okay? That's a little corny, but what I mean by that, hopefully it's memorable, what I mean by that is, of course, there are times in our lives where we just overlook the offense of another Christian, right? The Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. And and we don't need to go to our brother or sister every time they perturb us or irritate us just a little bit, right? There are certain things we can just overlook, right? I love you, brother. I love you, sister. That gets on my nerves, but I'm okay, all right? But there are other times, and this is where there's a danger of faking peace, where there is a genuine offense that's taking place. Maybe there's something that has genuinely hurt us, and the relationship is not going to be the same. There's, there's distance, there's, there's a fracture in the relationship until that's resolved. And in those situations, we have a responsibility to go to that person and, and have the hard conversation, right? I love you, and I want to talk to you because something you said hurt me, or something you did hurt me. Of course, that takes love, that takes courage, but that is our responsibility as brothers and sisters to one another. You know, in my years of pastoral ministry, there's been a number of times where someone will come to me and and share with me that another person in the congregation has in some way offended them. And, uh, maybe, and, and they come with good intentions, and I trust. And they might share that, you know, 
what someone did or said was offensive or it hurt their feelings or maybe they didn't agree with something that was said in a small group setting. And then sometimes as folks share their concerns, they'll say, so, you know, I think really you should, you should talk with them about it. And I have learned that unless there's like abuse involved or that individual is in some danger, it in fact is not my responsibility to go and talk to that individual, right? Whose responsibility is it in that situation? It's the responsibility of the person who's been offended, all right? And so in that situation, like, I, I can come along and I can say, well, listen, brother or sister, this is something, this is, you know, I would encourage you to maybe approach it this way, or you could, you could talk to this other person about it in, in this way. This is kind of the attitude or the disposition I'd encourage you to have, but I encourage you to go and talk to them. I encourage you to speak with them about it, and then if y'all can't resolve it, try to resolve it among yourselves. If you can't resolve it, come back and talk to me, and I'll, I'll be happy to help some more. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. When Paul writes to Yodia and Syntyche, he doesn't say, Yodia, listen, when I get to Philippi, I'm planning to come, I'll talk to Syntyche and I'll take care of this for you. That's not what Paul says, right? Paul, rather, applying the teaching of Jesus, says, Yodia, Syntyche, you guys need to get together and work this out. This is your responsibility to one another in the Lord. As Christians, we can't farm out this responsibility. We are responsible. And of course, there can be situations where we're not able to reconcile. Maybe the other person's unwilling to do so. But we are responsible to pursue reconciliation. Is there someone that you need to reconcile with this morning? Maybe it is your spouse. Maybe it's another member of our church. Maybe it's one of the leaders in our church. Paul says, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. Pursue reconciliation. Pursue peace. Third, a call to help. So gospel partners first. Secondly, a call to peace. And then third, a call to help. Look there in verse 3 and we read these words. Yes, I ask you also, true companion... Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So it seems here that Paul has determined that this conflict has escalated to the point that Yodia and Syntyche might need some help to resolve it. So he says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Now who is the true companion? Uh, we don't know. Uh, it might be uh, a reference to Timothy or Epaphroditus. If you've been here in our series back in Philippians chapter 2, these are two men that Paul commended for their gospel ministry. It could be either one of those. Um, but what Paul, or it could be someone else, but what Paul demonstrates here is that there are times when two Christians are conflicted with one another where the church needs to come alongside and help them resolve that conflict. Now, the remarkable thing about this is, again, as we think about the way Paul is reasoning and, 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 and uh, approaching this situation, what we see again is that Paul is, is simply taking the teaching of the Lord Jesus and applying it to this situation. You remember in Matthew 18, 
Jesus says, if someone sinned against you, go, just by yourself, go and tell them their fault and, and try to reconcile. And then he goes on to say in Matthew 18, verse 16 and 17, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So, so you see the way that, that the Lord Jesus has set this up for us to be a community of peacemakers and how Paul is applying it to this specific situation in Philippi. We are to pursue peace ourselves with others, but then there are times where the church may need to come alongside and help us and encourage us in being reconciled to one another. And so, of course, this begs the question, are we the type of people who help others move towards peace and reconciliation with one another. So, imagine this scenario. I'm sure it's, it'll be really hard to imagine a scenario like this. Two Christian friends get into it on Facebook. It's hard to imagine, right? Not really. Do we help them agree in the Lord? Or do we quickly take sides and throw gasoline on the fire and watch it burn? Right? No, the Lord, Paul says here to, the, to, these, to, to, to the church in Philippi, you need to help one another agree in the Lord. It is, it is a shame and a detriment to the Christian gospel that there are some Christians who roam social media looking for conflict, right? We call it trolling. Paul is advocating for the opposite of trolling in this verse. He's saying, don't look for a fight, but look to help and encourage one another move towards peace and unity. And this is what Paul wants his true companion to do, to help Syntyche, to help Eodia agree in the Lord. Maybe they had it out on Facebook. And Paul says, listen, there's hope for these sisters. Come alongside them. They may, have, they may have blew it and had conflict with one another, and everybody saw it. Help them agree in the Lord. Bring them back together. Help them reconcile. I think it's worth noting as well here that the Apostle Paul, as he's writing and trying to see this, writing to the church in Philippi and trying to see this situation resolved, you notice that the Apostle Paul is still a step removed. He, he still has not, even as an apostle, kind of taken matters fully into his own hands. Rather, by assuming the responsibility himself and saying, hey, listen, when I get there, I'll take care of this. He doesn't do that. Or by exerting his authority in saying, all right, Yodia, you need to apologize to Syntyche. Syntyche, you need to accept the apology, and then it'll be done. Paul doesn't do either one of those things. Rather, what we see here is that Paul is continuing to push the work of reconciliation out onto the church in Philippi and the individuals who are involved so that they might do the work of reconciliation with one another. He's assigning and delegating the work to another. So that the work of reconciliation is, is not just the work of the apostle, but it is the work in the ministry of the church. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul gives us his model of ministry. He says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And here Paul's applying that model of ministry. You know, as our church, by God's grace, continues to grow, this is something that the elders and I are committed to doing, to seeking to follow Paul's example in this. In other words, to train and equip and empower people within our own body to do the work of the ministry. And there's so many ways that this has been manifested over the last several years of our life as a church. You know, when, when I, uh, years ago, in, in my pastoral ministry at the church, uh, I used to do all the premarital counseling at the church. And I enjoyed it, and at times, Nikki and I, we would try to do it together if we could get child care for the kids, and we'd meet with these young couples, and we'd go through premarital counseling, and it was, it was wonderful, and we enjoyed doing that. But over the years, I mean, I realized I can't keep up with all these young couples getting married, and it's a great problem to have. And so we equipped and empowered other couples in the church to do premarital counseling, like Mark and Cheryl Brown, and Fred and Wendy Cornelison, and Chad and Amanda Trollinger, and there's been others who've done it as well, and they do a great job, and I praise God for that. Or membership interviews. There was a time in the life of the church where I did all the membership interviews, and, and this honestly was something that was hard for me to let go of because I love meeting new people coming into our church and hearing your story of how the Lord has saved you and how He's working in your life. But you know, there are times where we have membership meetings or members meetings and we might add 15 to 20 new members to our church. I can't do all those membership interviews. And so now we have two other staff pastors, Stephen Story and John Ross, and we share the responsibility in doing those interviews together. Or visitation. There was a time in the life of our church where I did essentially all the hospital visits and all the visits to homebound members. But by God's grace, we've been able to raise up deacons in our church that are devoted to this ministry. Gary Atwell and Dwight Birch, and they are our deacons of member care. And Gary has led this team and collected a group of you who serve on the member care team. And they are regularly visiting our homebound members, doing hospital visits. Of course, I do some myself. But they have, they've embraced this and taken on a large part of this ministry for themselves. And listen, we as elders understand that this is one of the fundamental primary ways that we lead and care for you as a church, is to equip and empower others to do and to empower you to do the work of the ministry, to enable the church to be the church, to minister to one another and be a blessing to each other. And this is one of the ways here that the church ministers to itself, that, that, that the church cares for one another, to help one another reconcile with each other in the Lord, to come alongside a brother or sister and say, hey, I'd encourage you to have that conversation. Ken Sandy writes in his book, Peacemakers, quote, the Lord has also provided a powerful support system for peacemaking. It is the church. When we are unable to resolve a conflict on our own, God commands the local church to step in and bring its wisdom, resources, and authority to bear on the problem. End of quote. And listen, my friends, we all have a role to play in helping one another pursue peace. 
One thing that we should say about this as well, though, is not only do we have a responsibility to help one another pursue peace, but and this might be a little more challenging, we also have a responsibility to receive the help of others when we need to move towards peace. You see what I'm saying? So, so maybe we would be willing to help others pursue peace and to be reconciled, but are you willing to receive the help of others to pursue peace, the help of the church? Are you willing to invite others in where it's kind of messy? Are you willing to listen to counsel? Are you willing even to submit to the authority of the church? Nikki and I, in our first year of marriage, um, some people, their first year of marriage is amazing. You know, it's the honeymoon stage, and that's wonderful. That's a gift from the Lord. That was not our experience. We had a hard first year of marriage, and uh, it wasn't Obviously, it wasn't something we had hoped for, but we found ourselves in our first year of marriage, and and we we had some real challenges, and we struggled for months, and honestly, it took us a while to kind of open up. I think we were embarrassed. We were scared. What would people think? But then we did. We opened up to the other elders and their wives at the church at that time, and we shared with them some of the challenges that we were having. And man, they were so gracious and so helpful. We started meeting with the elders and their wives every Friday night, and we would just kind of report on how things were going, how that week went. And they'd talk to us and encourage us and give us counsel and pray with us. And then alongside that, we met with a biblical counselor, and so we would tell them how that was going in terms of what we were learning from our sessions, meeting with the counselor. And we did that for several months. And by God's grace, after several months our marriage really took a turn. I mean, we never even fight anymore. That was a joke. (laughs) We still have disagreements. We still have conflict. But by God's grace, our marriage took a dramatic turn and is far healthier today. And we praise God for the good marriage that we have. And let me just say, in that process, I am especially thankful for the role that the local church played in helping us resolve that conflict when we felt like we had gotten stuck and we couldn't make any progress. Listen, my friends, there's some of you here this morning who might find yourself in that situation. It's one thing to say that we're called to help others resolve conflict. It's another thing to have the humility, right, to say, you know what, in my Christian life, there's times where I need help to resolve conflict? Are you willing to receive that help? We see here from our passage that peacemaking is not always easy. We have to take responsibility for ourselves, right, and pursue peace with others. We have to take responsibility for one another, and we have to help one another pursue peace with each other. And then we have to humble ourselves at times and be willing to receive the help of others, to admit we can't figure this thing out. We need help. Will you help us? No doubt 
Peacemaking is tough at times, but my friends, let me ask you this. Don't you want to be a part of a community like that? Don't you want to be a part of a community that is marked by the reconciling peace of the Lord Jesus Christ? God has saved us and redeemed us and reconciled him, us to himself and, and then calls us into community with one another so that we can experience that type of reconciling peace and grace in relationship, in community with one another. He's offering it to us. He's calling us to it. Let us embrace it and walk in the reconciling peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank You and praise You for Your Word. And Lord, we're thankful for how practical it is and how it speaks to our deepest needs and challenges. And um, Lord, we thank You so much for the Lord Jesus that He came to give us peace because we know that as sinners, we're just a people that oftentimes are marked by conflict and disagreement. And Lord, we need, we need Your peace. We need Your grace. And so, Father, we pray now that you would take this word and apply it to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be a people who are marked by peace. And, and Lord, of course, I pray that if there are situations this morning that, that need specific attention, that need addressing, maybe we need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we need help, or maybe we need to have a hard conversation, or maybe we've been meeting with someone about a conflict, and we've just, we've just been pouring fuel on the fire. We've been gossiping. And we need to stop that, and instead we need to help. We need to help there be peace and reconciliation. Lord, wherever we might be in, in this spectrum, we pray, Father, that you would take your word now and apply it to our lives. Help us to be a people of peace and reflect your reconciling grace. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord we ask it.